Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 82 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. I'm super thrilled you're here because I am with an amazing writer whose book I loved, Nina McLaughlin. Hello, Nina. Hello, hello. Did I say your last name correctly? McLaughlin, yeah, that was perfect. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Let me give you a little introduction to those who might not know you and should. Uh, Nina McLaughlin grew up in Massachusetts. She earned a BA in English and Classical Studies from the University of Pennsylvania, then worked for about eight years at the Boston Phoenix, the award-winning Alternative News Weekly in 2008, she quit her journalism job to work as a carpenter's assistant. Her experience leaving her desk job to learn the carpentry trade is the subject of her first awesome book, uh, Hammerhead, The Making of a Carpenter, and she continues to pursue both building and writing. Her essays and reviews have appeared in the Los Angeles Review of Books, The Believer, The Boston Globe, The Rumpus, The Millions, Bookslut, and many other places. She lives near the Charles River in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Again, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am, the, the reason I read your book is that uh, listeners have heard me say this a bunch, but uh, last year, at the end of last year, I hit this real burnout, and I just didn't think it would ever happen to me, but the burnout was real, it was there, and um, I started to explore ideas of what else I could do to combat this burnout, and I, um, I'm doing this year-long project where every month I'm focusing on something uh, something new, something outside my comfort zone. Uh, I have I have a you know an outside month right now. I'm doing the music month in which I joined a band. Oh, amazing! Yeah, it's yeah. really it's really. But for some reason, um, woodworking and that that whole three dimensional making thing that is not fiber related because I'm a fiber artist too but but uh-huh. that's that doesn't feel the same um th- so woodworking in particular is so compelling to me so I started to research woodworking memoirs by women of which there are not many so not many no you're right <laughs> not your, yeah exactly and right. I came across your book and I tried the sample chapter in Kindle and it was like one of those I read two pages in auto buy and, oh, and it filled so in and I just fell into your book and I love your voice and I can't recommend this book more highly and your story is so interesting and fascinating and um for anyone who's looking at the YouTube or the Facebook video of this did you make the bookcase behind you uh, no, that one, no. I, gosh, no. This is, I bought long before I started the carpentry work, and I've been sort of uh, carrying this book case around for me from apartment to apartment since I was like, yeah, maybe like 24. Um, so, no, that's, I did not make it. That's funny. I, always, I, have, I, I have one sweater that I love. Whenever I wear it out, everybody always asks, did you make that? No, I did not. No. Yeah. <laughs> the table that my computer's sitting on right now, I did make. Which you can't see, but no, not those shelves, unfortunately. How incredible is that, though? Okay. So you're still doing both. You're doing um, the writing and the carpentry. Is that right? Yes, that's true. Exactly. Yeah. And how do you balance that? Well, you know, um, one of the great things about the carpentry work is that, A, my boss has been really flexible, you know? So it's like when I say, like, oh, I need two weeks to work on a draft when I was working on the book, or I need to take, you know, two days off to work on this piece, she's just sort of like, go ahead, that's fine. Is it still Mary? 
It is still Mary. Yep. Um, and then, um, the other piece of it is that typically the work, the carpentry work slows way down in the winter. So sort of between, you know, November during the holidays, a little bit after new year's, there's a real lull. And sometimes that goes longer, um, depending on the year. And so that's sort of winter time is sort of this like full force writing time for me, um, which has been great and really sort of ideal, sort of this sort of spring and summer, early fall, doing this physical body work and also writing when I can. Um, and then the winter is sort of a slower uh, kind of holding up into my little writing cave. That time. does that really, really does sound completely ideal and yeah. idyllic. And I was, I actually had pulled up from your book. Let me grab this quote that I really loved. Um, you mentioned that uh, or, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez said, um, ultimately literature is nothing but carpentry. But then what you said, if you don't mind me quoting you, is, uh, oh. <laughs> but what appealed to me so much about carpentry work is how far it is from words. The zone of my brain that gets activated building bookshelves is a different one than the one that puts together sentences. And what a relief it can be not having to worry about the right word, not having to think over and over, is this the best way to say this? The questions carpentry raises are the same, ultimately, will this work? Will it function as it should be true and strong? But the answers come from different rooms in my head, and it is good to exit the word room in favor of a less used realm that deals with space, numbers, tools, and materials. So was this something that that you were raised with a longing to touch wood and to do these kind of things, or...? You know, no, not really. The thing was, I mean, both my parents make things. My mom knits all the time, truly all the time. Um, and my dad carves decoys. And so we always had this sort of big workshop in our basement with all these tools. And I like, I really did not care about it. You know, like I was just like, my dad would go down there with a block of wood and then like eventually there would be a duck or, you know, a piping plover or whatever. And I was like, I just don't care. But I think sort of growing up around that, around people who are making tangible things, I think obviously sunk in. And um, I mean, I really, I mean, as I sort of explained in the book, I went into the carpentry work really like knowing nothing. Nothing. I love um, that. Like, I love that oh about it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and so the, I like, I have found over the last almost, I mean, it's about nine years now, um, the, the, the combination of the writing work and the carpentry work is so, is so for me important now, you know, that it's mm -hmm. like a way to get out of my brain. You know, when you're writing a lot, you're sort of in that word realm and you're sort of tied up in interior and it's so nice to exit that, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the two really do balance each other beautifully. Um, so I feel lucky. And I, I guess I like, I urge it upon everyone to like, not necessarily carpentry, but doing some sort of work with your hands. If you're writing a lot, being able to put your brain in your hands for a while, mm. even just like half an hour a day or like two hours twice a week. Um, I think it's one of the best things you can do for your writing, honestly. I love that so so <laughs> much so much so much so um so this pro this writing this uh podcast is usually about writing processes Ooh. but i'm so fascinated about the, the the carpentry too um but so when you are in this winter period winter spring of of doing more writing what does your process look like as in terms of writing when sure. and where do you write how does that work 
Sure. So I mostly um, stay at home in my little apartment in Cambridge. Um, I'm definitely a morning writer. So I like to get up um, usually around 6.30, linger over a slow breakfast and coffee, just sort of reading. And then usually around 7.30, I'll start writing and I will usually try to do it without having checked any internet stuff, which is like on some days harder uh, than others. But it's key, um, isn't it? I find yeah, that, yeah, truly. Yep. Like keeping that sort of that fresh kind of clean brain, mm-hmm. um, is uh, yeah, it really, it for me really helps. Um, cause I do find like once I've gotten into that kind of like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email hole, it's just like, it's a messier head. Um, and then I usually work until about one ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like, I usually find that's the sort of edge of where I'm going to doing good work um uh and then sort of you know have lunch and go for a run and then sometimes I'll do kind of um reading research work or kind of idea note-taking works in the evenings but definitely um the mornings are my kind of uh definitely my most productive time and like the time where I don't answer phone calls and feel very um protective of And I would say like when I'm really in full force mode, it's like every day I want to be touching what I'm working on in some way, you know, even if it's just like, like for, you know, an hour and a half, but like, it's like, you know, it really is sort of, it's sort of every day when I'm really in it. Do you do that on the weekends too? Or do you take days off on the weekends? You You know, no, I usually try, I usually try to stick, I mean, maybe not so much, like it might not, not necessarily be sort of five, six, seven hours, but definitely like at least an hour or two. Um, just again, just sort of to touch it and feel it. Um, and sometimes I think I'm a little bit nuts about it and it isn't quite necessary. Um, some days, you know, it's like, I try to take, usually I'll take sort of one day off. I I try to think about it a little bit like running and that like, Uh. Like that, um, some days you should just rest, you know, like let your brain do other things, um, go outside, um, talk to people. Um, I think, cause I think that will ultimately serve the writing better as well. There, um, sometimes I teach with Chris Beatty, who is the founder of NaNoWriMo. And he oh, went, he once said that he feels that he just needs to open the computer every day and at least look at the lion. And even if he can only throw it a chunk of raw meat and run away again, at least the lion is going to be less angry yeah, tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I love that. That's perfect. <laughs> yep, totally. So what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Um, biggest challenge? Gosh, I think for me, in some ways, it's the, um, it's the, transitions not within the sort of text but the transitions in and out of the writing mode both in a large scale way and a small scale way so it's like Mm -hmm. I'll have a couple months where all I'm doing is writing Mm -hmm. and then kind of leaving that and sort of finishing a project and sort of being away from it it's like being back in the world in that way is always jarring and even after a day of work like I do find like after spending sort of just like some hours just concentrated looking at my computer thinking about sentences like I'm not that good at communicating with actual humans afterwards like I'm kind of tight and cranky and like easing back into the real world is hard um and so I think like it has been challenging for me, like finding this balance between like moving in and out of the, uh, out of like writing and not writing. Um, yeah. What is is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Um, 
gosh, you know, I think that it's like, it's, it's those moments and they happen like, I mean, so rarely, but you sort of feel like, like you almost sort of disappear and what you're writing, you're not even aware of it, you know? And it's just like those 20 minutes twice a year, a year where it's just like, oh my gosh, it's coming, it's coming, I love it. And then I find it's these moments where when I'm reading back, I don't even really remember writing it, you know? Yes. Um, so that's, I mean, and again, that's rare, but like it's those moments where it's just like that sort of, that just sheer, honestly like euphoric pleasure of it. Um, <laughs> I, I absolutely agree. I was a runner yeah. for a br- very brief time. I, I ran two marathons yeah. and then I was like, what the hell? Oh my um, God. <laughs> it, oh, was, it was, it was awful. And I wasn't, I was never a real <laughs> runner and I would never do it again. But I remember, and I think this only happened twice in the whole time I was training for this, um, right around mile 16 or 17. Oh my God. I actually felt the runner's high. And yeah. again, it lasted for maybe 20 minutes and it yep. la- and I felt it maybe twice. I remember pr- one particular, I might've felt it a little bit before, but yeah. that is what kept me going back to the running for a while. Totally. And it, it exists. It really does exist. Yep. So if people are listening and have never felt that in the writing, it does happen and it yeah, makes yeah. everything worth it. That's exactly it. That's like completely exactly it. It's like ch- not exactly chasing it, but it's like knowing that it's out there. Yes. It just, yeah, it, yeah, it propels you. Chasing that, sure. chasing that high. Can you share a quick craft tip of any sort with us? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this and I feel like it sort of goes back a little bit to what I was saying about it's not exactly a craft tip. It's more of like, I, I guess it's just sort of an emphasis on this idea of if you are writing a lot, step away from the writing and do something with your hands. Like I, 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 it's not sort of like, Oh, this will make it so you can write, um, you know, revise better or make better characters. I think that it's kind of like overarching, I don't know, recommendation. Um, the writer Heidi Julevis before she oh sits down God, for write, she, her. she's so good. Yeah. She's so good. She draws a doorknob before she sits down to write every day. And I think there is just something to be said for uh, thinking and using different parts of your mind. Um, And I think it can get those sort of word juices flowing Mm -hmm. better. Um, So, yeah, craft, craft, I don't know, craft tip in the sense of like, have a craft beyond <laughs> the writing, I guess. <laughs> That's a little bit of a stretch. Uh, I love it. And I've never had anybody say that before. <laughs> I just started taking a class, actually, um, of woodblock printing. Oh, um, so gorgeous. Which has been, it's been so fun. And it's sort of this, you know, I mean, it's, it's woodwork. Um, so it's like familiar textures and familiar tools, but in a much sort of in a way different way, in a way different scale. Um, and, and, I have found- and you're carving into it, right? You're carving exactly. into the block itself yep. in order to print. Exactly. Um, and it's just been, it's been so, it's been so fun getting back into something like, I don't know, it feels like I'm a kid kind of learning this new skill again and sort of both like in familiar ways and unfamiliar ways. Um, do you, again, all, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, do you create the art that goes onto the block too? Yeah, so it's oh, it's actually, that's intense. This, is been, this is what's been the sort of neatest thing to learn about it. So some of it is like, yeah, I'll just do a drawing and just kind of carve it out. And it is like you have to reverse your thinking about like this is going to show up black, this is going to show up, you know, blank. Yeah. Um, and another thing that uh, the teacher has showed us is that you can sort of um, reproduce drawings um, 
onto the wood. So basically, like if you were to find a drawing in some antique old, you know, nature book of mm. butterflies, you can blow it up and kind of transfer it onto the wood and then carve it that way. So I've done both and it's, it's, it's neat in both ways. That is so cool. And now I just want to go play with wood. I'm going yeah. to, I'm going to end up uh, playing with wood at some point. Every time I start reading about it again, I get, I get intimidated by the tools needed. So I don't am, be intimidated. I, know, I shouldn't, don't I shouldn't be. be. And I live, I live in a, in a great city where we have a tool lending library too. Mm -hmm. So I could borrow any type of tool I wanted for free too, just to try it. Um, and that's the thing, you know, I mean, I think it is just like, they're all so scary and loud. I mean, they really are like, yes. you can lose fingers. And, and I'm very failing. clumsy. I am yeah, very right, clumsy. Right. I like my fingers. I like all of yeah. them. And in some ways, that's actually better, you know, because you're going to be more dialed in and more focused yeah. on not losing any of your fingers. Like, I think it's the people who are like, oh, I, you know, I've got this. I've, I've done this a thousand times. That's, that's when you're more likely to cut off your finger. I feel like you would, you would you would not do it. And it is just a matter of like getting comfortable with like these very loud and very dangerous tools. And I'm comparing that in my mind to the very loud and dangerous tools that we keep in our head too, that we use on the page. You have a, you have an, you have an excellent frame of reference from, for both sides of that part of your working life. I think I just, mm -hmm. I just find it completely fascinating. Thanks. So when you have self doubt or dark days about the writing, how do you handle that? Yeah. You know, I, I feel like at this point I've been doing it long enough and have faced those days enough and they definitely come both just like, I think those, like the challenge of learning how to quiet the voices that say like, Oh, this does not matter. Like what you are doing is such a joke and no one cares. <laughs> like those voices that just sort of come in and chime that over and over, yeah. like just, just learning how to silence them, you know, like, I feel like I'm okay at that. And of course they come and I just try to shut them down as quickly as I can. I mean, and then there's the days where like the writing is just a slog and every sentence is just like torture. And I feel like, again, for me, and, and to go back to running, it's like, it's like some days just feel like crap. You go out and you just feel slow and tired and sluggish. Um, and sort of trusting that like, you know, like this feels bad today. This like, the, the sentences aren't coming, the words aren't coming, trusting that like a good day will come, you know, like today sucked, like tomorrow will be better. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just have to surrender and just be like, fuck it up. Sorry. Oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm done and I'm going to go out and do something else. And some days, I don't know. I do think there's some days where it can be argued that you should just like grind through because you don't know what's going to sort of come out at the other end. Um, but I think it's just like trusting that it's not always going to suck and trusting that like people are going to want to hear what you have to say, you know? Um, and like, yeah, I mean, yeah. So that's, that's, yeah. And that nobody can say it the way you can. I, um, I'm passionate about memoir. I write memoir. I teach memoir. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a real problem for the memoirists who Definitely. are the listeners, because at least in fiction, you can tell yourself this benevolent lie that um, <laughs> you will be able to make it mean something. Mm -hmm. But when you're actually putting your own life on the page, there's this, there's always this, this point at which you look at yourself and say, am I really this egocentric that I think anybody is going to care yeah. what I feel about this particular yeah, yeah, yeah. thing? And, yep. and memoirists as a rule have a hard time getting through that, pushing through that. Definitely, definitely. But, and I think, yeah, I mean, I feel like 
it is, it's an affliction. I think if you're writing about yourself, you know, that yes. there is, it's, it's so hard not to be like, Oh my God. Like, cause I mean, we're all living our own lives and like, you know, I mean, it's, it all just seems kind of normal. It's like, Oh, right. this like, Oh, I had a job and then I had another job. Oh my God, who cares? You know, like, <laughs> like, but, and then it's like, but then you do sort of have to sort of talk yourself out of that. Um, yeah, but it's, it, I mean, it's, it's an awful feeling. It's definitely an awful feeling. It is. I, I, I tell my students, I, I call it the, the who cares draft. And because yeah. nobody, nobody does like, and at that point, usually about <laughs> three quarters into the book, not even you, yeah. not even yeah. you care, yeah. let alone your mom <laughs> who should be the one to care the most, you know, nobody yeah. cares. So yeah. you just, you just keep, you just keep going. Yeah. Okay. So, um, speaking of books and what we do and what we read. What is the best book you've read recently? Um, so I just recently read a novel by a Japanese writer named Hiromi Yamakami called The Briefcase, which okay. came out, I don't know, uh, a good number of years ago, 10 years, maybe a little bit less. Okay. Um, and it's just beautiful uh, and quiet and slow and a lot about eating and drinking mm-hmm. and loneliness um, but the sort of the food parts, the food and beer parts were, were just like beautifully done. Um, I also was just reading a really excellent poetry collection called Her Book by a poet named um, Aaron Lorsung, um, which came out from Milkweed uh, three or four years ago. And that has been quietly blowing my mind mm. as well. Um, Do you also so that- write poetry? Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I love that you say that because I really feel like poetry has always been so far out of my realm. And like when I was in grad school, I took I, ha- I had to take one poetry class to fulfill the requirement. And I remember just people just sitting in there, think, you know, shaking their heads. Rachel, you are you're a narrative writer. Yeah. Aren't you? <laughs> so I usually expect people who really read and get into poetry to also be writers of it. So I like that you say that you're yeah. not. You know, I mean... I do. I love poetry and I read quite a lot of it. And I write maybe two poems a year. And as soon as I finish them, I'm like, oh my God, this is genius. I'm a poet. And then like 24 hours goes by and I'm just like, oh, Nina, oh my God. And they're like horrible. <laughs> but I, I do love it. And like, I do, I, I mean, it, yeah, I aspire to it sort of, but I know I don't, I, I don't like poetry. I do consider it the heart, the most difficult form. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now I would like to ask you about you, where we can find you. Um, and what, are you writing another memoir? Please tell you know, me who you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, yeah, so I am, I've been working on a book um, for a while and it's, it's sort of a, a book length essay about the month of November. Oh, interesting. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a raw and fragmented weirdness. Um, and, uh, and it's sort of, I mean, basically the sort of backstory is that I'd always, I, I love the month of November here in New England. Um, it's sort of, you sort of witness the, the dying of the year. Mm-hmm. And I always sort of felt like it's possessed of this different sort of energy, um, and wanted to get to the bottom of why. So I sort of did research into, um, the sort of rituals and traditions and celebrations around the world and throughout history that take place in this month. Um, and so it sort of brings in, um, I don't know, the sort of what we look at and feel when we're witnessing the sort of closing down of the year um, and how it sort of gives this enhanced sense of aliveness, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and I mean, essentially it's about um, the limits of time. Uh and there was um, 
on the Parish Review Daily, the website of the Parish Review, they um, I did a, a weekly comment uh, column this last November. So there were five pieces, sort of newish, and also excerpts from this project that I'm working on. Um, oh, I'm going like, to run over there and read that immediately. Oh, good, good. <laughs> yeah. So I do. I have. You know, it's been. I've been working on it for a while, um, and we will see if the book sees the light of day. I hope it does. Um, I hope it does too. I really. I just adore your writing. Can I ask a strange question that nobody else is going to understand? So forgive me. Please. But um, did you have uh, the book? Your book. Um, is called Hammerhead. Did you ever think of calling it Hammerbang? Was that a was that, was that a wish of yours? Because that word that word kept coming through, and I'd never seen it Hammerbang. And I just I, I and I had this theory like she wanted to call it Hammerbang, but the uh, but the editor said no, no. Nina. There was a, yeah, there were a lot of titles that I was like, hey, how about? And the editor said no. no. Um, Hammerbang, yeah. I mean, there was a Hammerbang was in a combination of a title. I I love that phrase, and it's funny that sort of just like arose and just kept coming up. Um, yeah. Hammer, hammerbang, maybe that should have been the title. <laughs> no, hammerhead is also good. <laughs> and where can we find you out in the world on online? Um, so I have a, a blog that I've been keeping sort of for the last bunch of years, a little bit less so now. It's called carp, carpentrix.tumblr.com. Uh, um, I'm on Instagram as N McLaughlin, Twitter, uh, Nina McLaughlin, I think. Um, <laughs> shoot. Um, and I have a website and sort of the recent stuff um, that I've been doing, I, I do a weekly column for the Boston Globe um, on New England literary news. Um, and then those last pieces that I've done were sort of for the, the Paris Review pieces, um, which I feel proud of. That is so cool. I'm going to be tracking you down and following you all over the world because I'm your newest, biggest fangirl. Oh, that's so and that's thank you for being on the show and for putting up with all the technical difficulties that I had in my house trying to get you back sewn together. Um, Absolutely, my pleasure. So patient. And it's just been my joy to talk to you. So thank you, Nina. Thank you so much. Okay. Really appreciate it. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.